Well, good morning. Man, it's good to see all of you here with us this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Brian. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today of kicking off uh, a brand new series for us, like Pastor Quentin already said, called Made for Mondays. And what we're going to be talking about all throughout this series is our jobs, the things that we do for employment, our vocation, all of those things that, that so many of us feel like we, we have to do. It's kind of a natural rhythm and part of our lives, and we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about that. So just kind of to help me get a feel for, uh, for what we've got kind of going on in our midst today, uh, I wanted to start our time together this morning with a short crowd survey. You guys cool with that? Can we do kind of crowd survey deal? All right, good. All right, first question. Um, how many of you have either at some point in your life or recently made this statement, I need to get into bed and get some rest. I got to work tomorrow. Show of hands. How many people have ever said, I got to get into bed, got to get some rest? Good. All right. All right. Different question. Next question. Um, how many of you would say or at some point in your life or, or recently or regularly said this statement, man, I feel like all I do is work to pay the bills. Show of hands. How many of you feel like you work just to pay bills? All right. Good. All right. How many of you answered both or answered yes to both questions? Show of hands. How many of you won't raise your hands regardless of what I ask? Show of hands. All right, good. All right, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. When, when all we do is rest and sleep and get some rest so that we have enough energy to go to work tomorrow, and then the only reason that we work is so that we can pay bills, then does that not mean that we are only resting so that we have the opportunity to pay bills, right? Isn't that what that means? Isn't that a miserable way to live? Isn't that terrible? That all I do is sleep so I can pay bills. That's not fun at all. That is the reason that so many people say they hate their jobs or that they struggle with their work. Last year, our church, we, we, uh, we had a, a worship experience here where um, at the end, of the, the end of the service, we ask you to, to write on a piece of paper uh, a struggle or a burden or a, a source of anxiety or something that just weighed you down that was heavy for you. And then we had a, we had a cross set up over here in this corner with some, some nails already in it. And we asked you to come and to just to stick those pieces of papers with your, your concern on them to the cross. And, and because that was anonymous, because there were no names on those papers or whatever, um, we, we took those. And we looked at them and we read them. And what we saw over and over and over again was that, that people had, we saw two recurring themes that, that we identified. The first being that people were concerned about their families, that they were worried about their kids and the direction of their kids' lives and all the things that their kids were involved in and, the, and dealing with their spouse and with other family members and with siblings and with parents and, and all of the other kind of stuff. And then the other was people struggled with their job. They didn't feel like their, their job produced any meaning for their life. They didn't feel like they were getting anything out of their job. They didn't feel like it was something that, that they wanted to do or something that they had to do. And there was this burden that existed because of their work. And so I want you to know that the pastors here at Fusion City Church, man, we heard you. We're, we're listening and we want to we wanna teach things from the scripture that we feel like are going to be a benefit to your life. So if you've been with us for the last couple of months, then you know that a couple of, about a month and a half ago, we did a series on parenting. Because we wanted to address one of the needs that, that so many of you let us know 
was a burden in your life. And now, what we're going to spend the next four weeks counting today, talking about our jobs. Now, I wanted to, to lay some, some statistics on you, if you're like a numbers person that likes data. Uh, a recent Forbes survey said that 52% of people let Forbes know that they are unhappy in their job. Uh, a Gallup poll study said that 70% of people either hate their jobs or are completely disengaged while only 13% of people said that they are engaged in their job and actually have concern over helping their business or whoever they work for be successful. 13%. Isn't that, doesn't that seem kind of sad to you? It it seems sad to me that that only 13% of people nationally per capita or according to this, this study, enjoy their jobs. You see, I believe that God had a different, a different idea in mind when it comes to our jobs, a, a different idea. As a matter of fact, the very first thing that we are introduced to in Scripture is God and His work. And I believe that in that, that there is a better way, that if we can take an example from God and what God lays out for us in Scripture, that there is, there's a better way to do life where we enjoy our jobs more. So if I told you this morning that you don't have to hate your job and you don't have to dread going into work the first day of the week or whatever day that you go, you don't have to dread that. That it's possible to find an existence where you actually enjoy going to work. And that's what we're going to talk about in this series. Now, I have a disclaimer. Today is week one of a four-week series, right? So we're not going to hit every, we're not going to scratch every itch, not going to hit every topic today that's going to help you enjoy your job. You know what that means? You know what that means? It means you got to come back, right? You can't just come today and then get what we have going on today and then miss the next few weeks and wonder why you still hate your job, all right? I'm, let me encourage you. If you don't like your job, I want you to be here for this whole series, I think. I really do. I really believe that this is going to do some good for you as it pertains to your work. So again, the very first thing that we're introduced to in Scripture is God and His work. Let's look at this together in Genesis chapter 1. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and a lot younger, before I knew where all the books of the Bible were, I knew that Genesis was the first book. I love it when a pastor preaches out of Genesis because I can find that book. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis is at the very beginning. You just keep flipping, you'll see Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. It says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So if if you're not familiar with the the creation account in Genesis, what God is doing here, got the whole chapter one of Genesis is all about God's creation of the world. So it tells us all the things that he created uh, up to the sixth day. And on this sixth day, it says that God stood back and looked at all that he had created, and he said that it was very good, that God was pleased, and that he had found joy in his creative work, that, that, that God enjoyed his work. Now, the reason that, that God enjoying his work is significant for us is because we are created in the image of God to be like him in character. As a matter of fact, we're introduced to that concept just a few verses earlier when God created man and woman. Let's read this together. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. So just a few verses earlier, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That's our work, to subdue, to have dominion. Those are, those are terms of work. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God intended for humanity to find joy in our work because we are created in the image of a working God who finds joy in his. God never desired for you to be miserable in your employment or your vocation. God designed and intended for humanity to be a working people and for us to find joy in that. But not only, not only did God design us to work, but there's another element, and that's what I want to spend the bulk of our time talking about together this morning. Not only did God design you and desire for you to work, but there's another element that we see on the seventh day of creation. So look with me, if you would, Genesis chapter 2 and the first three verses. It says, thus the heaven and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested. God rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of a God that needs to rest bothers me a little bit. It used to bother me a little bit. But here's the truth. God didn't need to rest, did he? Does God need to rest? Was God, was God exhausted from creation? The, the, the Bible tells us that God spoke and creation came to be. I mean, it wasn't like God was out there building the earth with his hands. Like, that's, not the, that's not the picture. God spoke and the earth was. He just became out of the, the spoken word of his mouth. God was not exhausted. He was not frustrated. He was not tired. He was not worn out from all of the creating that he had done. God rested in an effort to set apart that day and to make it holy. And the term that we see for, for rest here in Genesis chapter 2 is the word sabbat. Later in Scripture, this is where we'll find or the, the, the beginning or the origin of the word for Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath being a day that's set apart to honor God in creation. Sabbath, Sabbat. That word Sabbat in the Hebrew simply means to cease. It means to stop. It, that, that is the root origin of the word. Now, one more, one more kind of language, Hebrew language lesson thing here that, that I want us to see. In the Hebrew language, if God wanted to draw attention to something or the writers of whatever book of the Bible that we're reading wanted to draw attention to something in the Old Testament, a popular way of doing this in the Hebrew language was to create a, a symmetrical saying 
or, or phrase or written word that, that is symmetrical. And then whatever the thing is in the middle of the symmetry is the most important thing that wants to have your attention drawn to it. And in Genesis chapter 2, the verse three, first three verses, there are three lines of text in Hebrew that in the original language would have been an even number of words, seven words to be exact. And the middle word of every sentence is seventh day. I wanted to show you this in just a more broken down version of our English language. It doesn't read quite as well as it just did, but it gives us a picture of the symmetry that happens here. I wanted you to see this. So it would read like this in the original language, kind of as best as we can translate it into our English. It says, so God finished by the seventh day, that would have been the middle, his work which he did. And that doesn't make any sense in our English language, but that's how it would have been written to show that symmetry. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he did. The se- uh, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Each of those sentences, again, in the original language would have been these symmetrical writings with seventh day in the middle. It was if the writer of this book, Moses, wanted us to set apart that Day. There's something significant about that seventh day. And I think that the reason that we set apart, that he wanted to set apart that as special and draw so much attention to it was because it was going to be so hard for us to forget this principle. That there was a seventh day on which God rested. And God rested not on that day because he was tired or because he was exhausted, but to set that day apart, to make it important for, so that we would see it as blessed and as holy You fast forward over to the book of Exodus, and we find in chapter 20 the Ten Commandments. Everybody's familiar with the Ten Commandments, I believe. If you read through the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, what you'll find is that verse 8 contains the command for us to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, to honor a Sabbath, a day of ceasing, a day where no work is done. I found it interesting as I was preparing for this message that when you read through that, you kind of get one or two lines for every other commandment, the Ten Commandments, you get a, a line of what it says and what we're to do. But then when you get to number four, which is to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy, you get a paragraph of instruction. It's the longest explanation in the Ten Commandments of any of the commandments. It's how we are to honor and to set apart the Sabbath, a day of rest, a day of ceasing as we honor and recognize that God also set that day apart. Why do you think God made such a big deal out of us having a day of rest? But why do you think God made such a big deal out of this Sabbat, this ceasing, this Sabbath? Could it be that because God in his infinite wisdom knows that if all you do is work to pay bills, And all you do is sleep to work. That you are never going to find any kind of enjoyment or purpose or meaning in your job, in your vocation. This thing that God designed us to find joy in was going to become a source of turmoil for us. And that was never the design. That was never what God intended. 
So I want to give you two points today on how we begin to find enjoyment in our job. And it starts with our need for rest. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, you need rest. But you need rest that you don't need. You tracking? Is that, is, that, is that confusing at all? I hope so. I intended it to be confusing. You need a rest that you don't need. Here's what I mean by that. You need scheduled times of rest that you don't have to have. Because what we, what we find so often in our culture is that if we're only resting when we have to, that I'm going to run and I'm going to run and I'm going to be busy and I'm going to work hard right up until the point that I have to sleep else I'm going to crash. That, that's the only type of rest that so many people experience. Resting only when you have to rest is not a healthy rhythm of rest. What you need is rest, not recovery. Because when, we, when all we're doing is resting so that I have enough energy and strength to make it through my next day at work, and then I get home at the end of that day, and all I want to do is crash because I barely made it through that day, and all I can look forward to is getting through bedtime and dinner time and homework and all that other kind of craziness just so that I can get back in the bed to get just enough sleep so that I can make it the next day. That is not God's design for you, and let me tell you, that's not rest. God, God wants better for you than that. You need rest not recovery, and that's, that's the model that God set for us. Look, God didn't have to rest. God didn't need the seventh day of rest. He set that as a day set apart for rest so that we would follow the example because a healthy rhythm of unscheduled, unhurried, unstructured rest is necessary for us you need, listen to me, you need some time in your week. And I would even argue you need some time in your day, every day. But we'll go with one day a week if we can start there. You need a day that's set apart to just be. Not to do, not to schedule, not to be busy, not to do anything, but just to be, maybe, just maybe. That's why we're called human beings. But what I see when I look at our culture is a lot of human doings. We're doing an awful lot, but we don't spend a lot of time in, in rest, being that thing which God created us to be, which is his child and in his presence. God's design was for us to thrive in our work. But without regular, healthy times of rest, we're never going to be able to do that. And vacations don't count, right? I, maybe, maybe I'm, so here's what I, just all cards on the table, right? Like I don't, I don't hope, I don't keep a lot of secrets when I'm up here. Here's what I was doing as I was preparing this message for this day. I was trying to have with myself all the arguments that I thought you'd be having with me in your head as I preached. Right? So, so let, me, let me say this. Like, yeah, I'm going to work all year long. I'm going to bust it. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to be busy. I'm going to do a bajillion things. And then I'm going to take that one week in the summer where we go to the beach. 
And then at the beach, we're going to go play on the beach, and we're going to go out to dinner, and we're going to have to do the putt-putt thing. And we're, going to, we're going to be, we're just as busy on vacation as we are at home. If we don't have built-in desire in our lives and scheduled out times of rest, you don't rest on vacation because you don't know how to. It's not a rhythm of your life. I don't know about you, but typically I come home from vacation more tired than when I went. It can't be a once a year thing. It's got to be at the very least, at the very least, a once a week thing. That's how God designed it. Six days you will labor, and on the seventh, you rest. Now, let me ask you a question. This is going to be fun for me. Where does a day of rest fit in your schedule? Does a day of rest, an extended amount of time where you do nothing, where does that fit in your schedule? Does it? Does it fit? Do you have the time in your weekly schedule to do nothing? Let me ask you a question. If you were designed, if God's design for you and for me was to work and rest, because I, I think we, we made that argument from Genesis, right? Did we do, do, do okay job setting that up? God's, this is God's design. We're going to work for six days. We're going to rest. He even made it like one of the big ten. I mean, I think God was pretty serious about that, right? So if the design and if the command and if the, the, the way that God drew it up is that we are to both work and rest, and we only do one of the two, is there still any confusion as to why so many of us hate our jobs? So here again, one of those other arguments that I had on your behalf in my own head as I was preparing this. But Pastor Brian, work is only part of my day. Yeah, I think I would argue that anything that isn't rest is probably work. So when you're running your kids everywhere and when you're trying to get through homework and you're trying to get through dinner time and you're trying to get baths and you're trying to get them in the bed and you're trying to handle your, 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 your kids and your kids are trying to handle their parents and your kids are frustrated with parents and parents are frustrated with kids and we got a thousand places to be this week. We got 14 ball games and two dance recitals, and we got still got to figure out homework, and we got family night. And now, oh gosh, I got this really annoying church to ask me to show up to a connect group one day a week. I got so, I, I got to go to church on Sunday, then I got to be there one other night of the week, and I still got all these ball games. And I got dinner time, and I got bedtime, and I got homework, and I got to take work home with me because I ain't got enough time in the hours that I'm at work to do the work that they gave me to do. I got to do it at home. Oh my gosh, whoo! When when are we gonna rest? When in there do you get to rest? Even your days off are so full you, can't have, you don't have time. Let me ask a rhetorical question. What happens when we live outside of God's design for us? Healthy or unhealthy? Right? So if God designed you to rest and you don't rest, do you wonder why you feel so bad? It's, it's important, this rest. So let me, 
just super practical, right? There's a real good chance that if you don't have time for rest, you, you've got too many, too many other things in your week. And I would encourage you to learn to say no. Learn to say no to some things that are good because they're not the best. And I'm, hear me, right? We talked a lot in, in the parenting series about creating environments where our children become experience rich but relationally poor. If you, like I am tempted to do myself, are caught up in getting kids to, to cheerleading practice and dance practice and ball games and all the other stuff that you got going and you're running your kids everywhere. Here, listen to me. Are we not then breathing that culture and that lifestyle and that busyness into them as we parent and lead them? Are we then, if we're teaching our children that busy is just the way things are, as we teach that to our children, are we not then setting them up to hate their jobs when they get out of the house and get one of their own as well? Do we not want better for our children than we have for ourselves? And if I hate my job right now, that's the last thing that I want for my kids. I don't want them to hate their jobs. I want them to love and to thrive their jobs. Let me encourage you parents. Why don't we teach our children the value of rest? And maybe we say, maybe, oh, whew, shoot the pastor. Maybe we tell them there's some things they can't do. Just so that we can sit at home and spend time together as a family resting. Yeah, we can clap for that. Did you, did you hear how delayed it was? It's like I want to clap, but I don't really agree with him. Like I, I'm going to clap, but I ain't really listening. I'm going to clap, but I ain't really going to do it. That's, that's belabored. I know it when I hear it. I've been doing this for about 10 years. I know when y'all are believing me and when you ain't. But I'm telling you what's good for you. And I'm telling you, you need some rest. And I'm telling you that you are never going to enjoy your work unless you complete it with your season and your, your rhythm of rest. That's the way God designed it to work. You got to give yourself permission to rest. That for me was the hardest part, if I could be honest. There's so many things that I could be doing. I have to give myself permission to, to do nothing. I, I got to give myself permission to put some stuff off so that I can participate in the very thing that God designed for me to participate in, which is rest. Now, again, too much rest, just as bad as too much work, right? Too much rest is laziness. Too much work is workaholic. Neither of those are healthy. But th there's a balance to those that God wants for us to find. Can we agree that nobody on the face of the planet ever, ever had a more important job than Jesus? You know, that whole saving the world thing, leading a group of 12 men that were going to go on to start and establish and lead the church and trying to set up this, this entire thing that now administers the gospel to the rest of creation. Like, like Jesus was responsible for all that. Can we just agree that Jesus had no, nobody ever had a more important job than Jesus? Like we can we disagree with that, right? I'm going to assume that you agree with me. I'm going to move on. The gospel of Mark is oftentimes called the hurried gospel. Mark is in a hurry. It's, it's a very, very short gospel. It's 16 chapters, the, the gospel of Mark. It's 16 chapters, and Mark doesn't waste time with things like, I don't know, Jesus' birth. 
None of that. No, no record of Jesus' birth in Mark in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is trying to get us to the cross. Mark is in a hurry to get to the cross, and then he kind of slows down, and he talks about everything that happens after Jesus is crucified and resurrected. Like, that's where he spends the majority of his time. But in the 16 short, hurried chapters of the Gospel of Mark, there are 18 recorded times that Jesus chose silence and solitude over preaching and teaching and people. 18 times in 16 chapters, Jesus went to be alone or went to spend time with just the 12 disciples. Jesus regularly chose solitude and silence over the work that he was doing while he was here on the earth. If Jesus took the time to slow down, to rest, to spend time with his father, then how much more important is it for us? You see, Jesus rarely just went to be alone. Jesus very regularly went to be alone, but with his father. So not only do you and I need rest that we don't need, but we need rest that restores. You need not only to rest, but you need a better quality of rest. You need a rest that's restorative. Probably the most famous psalm, maybe even some of the most famous verses in all of Scripture is in Psalm 23. The first three verses of Psalm 23 read like this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Watch this. He makes me lie down. You see it? God, God makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. In the book of Genesis, it told us that God blessed the Sabbath day. Anything that God blesses is something that God adds value to. So what that means for us is that when you and I make the intentional decision to set a part of my week aside for the sole purpose of rest, a, a Sabbath, a Sabbat, a ceasing, when we make the effort to set that time apart, hear me, God blesses it. God adds value to it. Is anybody in here that could use less blessing from God? Just show hands. Anybody, anybody want to be less blessed? All right, good. I didn't think we'd get many hands. Thank goodness. You need a rest that restores. And rest that restores is the result of intimacy with God. Time spent in focus on him, a set apart, holy focused time of intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is what makes rest holistically restorative. Now, I chose two big words there, but let me, let me just break that down for us. Our rest needs to be more than just physical. 
Sure, after a long, hard day and a long, hard week, we need to physically take time to allow our bodies to recuperate, to recover, and to heal. We need that. What we need also, not in place of, what we need in addition to our physical rest is spiritual, emotional, intellectual Rest. We need time for us to receive this holistic, every element that makes up rest, we need all of it. And we cannot get spiritual, emotional, intellectual rest without time spent with God in our rest. Now, here's what, now, hear, hear me. I'm not saying you got to take 24 hours out of your week and spend it in prayer. I believe that it is possible for us to to do some things in our rest that still allow us to more organically connect with our Heavenly Father. I I hear that people find this in gardening. I don't understand it. I don't want to work in the dirt. But if that soothes your soul and you can find God in creation as you work with your hands and till the dirt, then brother, sister, go and do it. You can meet God there. But rest, if that gives you rest and enjoyment, do it. My dad, God help him, that man loves to mow. I don't, like, I pay somebody to mow mine, and he, he spends, like, he loves to mow. That's his, that's his time. That's his time. He, he loves to spend time on the mower. Go and mow. If that lights you up and connects you with your heavenly father, go fishing. Read a book. Do whatever it is that makes you relax and rest and take a step back from all that you got going on. And allow yourself to find your heavenly father in those moments. It, it's, it's, it's intimate. And it's personal, and it's connecting. And here's my fear. Here's my fear. My fear is that so many of us rush and hurry our time with God the same way we rush and hurry the rest of our schedules. Don't, don't raise your hands, because I won't make you feel bad. But how many of you have ever had this thought cross your mind? Whew, man, I got to hurry up and get my me time done because we got to be a connect group in 20 minutes. But, like, let's just read it real quick, skim over it, write some stuff down so we don't look like we didn't do it when we get to connect group this week. Oh, I, I know that I'm supposed to read my Bible every day and I'm supposed to pray. So I'm going to read about 10 minutes real quick. I'm going to throw up some, some, some Jesus stuff towards God real quick and then I'm off to sleep real quick because I got to get into bed because I got to work tomorrow. Yeah, I see the smiles and smirks. I, I, I know. I got you. I got you, and I feel it, and that's okay. It's supposed to be tense right now. Do you know what that kind of, you know what that kind of time with God reminds me of? We've got some little ears in the room today, so I'm going to try and be real uh, PG. Um, my wife and I tried for two and a half years to conceive. We, we tried for two and a half years to have our first child. Two and a half years. Now, I like to joke for like the first nine months that we were trying, and that was a lot of fun. But at about month 15, it ain't fun anymore. It's, hey, we got five minutes. Get in here real quick before you go to work. Y'all, where are you going? I took the temperature, I spit in the thing. Like, let's go, right? And we take this beautiful, intimate, passionate gift that we have as married people. 
and we turn it into this mechanical, got to get it done because there's, there's something, I just feel like I have to, got to get it done kind of thing. And we ruin it. Temporarily. Comes back. Do we really want that kind of intimacy when we're trying to find the kind of rest that restores our soul? The truth is you can't have it. So in your rest, would you, would you make the effort to hear from your Heavenly Father? And you, you, can, you can read Scripture. That's awesome. I think you should. I'm not telling you you have to spend your whole time in prayer. I think that, that when we find the time to stop, that's when God has the opportunity to most clearly speak. It's kind of like trying to fall asleep. You don't try You don't do anything to fall asleep. You remove all of the things that keep you from falling asleep. If you want to hear from God, let me give you this advice. Why don't you remove all the things that keep you from hearing from God? And listen to me, you'll hear him. And not only will you hear him, but God will provide for you the kind of rest. The kind of rest that restores your soul. Now, there's a lot of us in the room right now, we feel like our job steals our soul. Let me tell you who can put it back. It's your heavenly father. But if you never take the time to spend it with him, if you never take the time to rest, then all you're left with is your soul-sucking job. And then you wonder why you feel so bad and why you don't want to go. You need some time with your heavenly father. It's, It's our hope here at Fusion City Church that that, that this time that we spend together on Sunday mornings and the time that we spend in our connect groups, that these are not one more things in your schedule, but the opportunity for you to come and to find some of that rest that you so desperately need. We, we want you to be here and we want, to be this, we want this to be a time for you where God meets with you and you leave this place more restored and healthy than when you came in. Pastor Jonah and, and I were talking about this this week as I was kind of laying out for them that, what I was going to talk about today. And he said, you know, I heard a guy one time refer to, to church on Sunday morning because it's kind of like that locker room at halftime for all my sports fans in the room, right? So if you, had a, if you had a really crummy first half, you come in at halftime, you take a breath, you catch your breath, and, and you, you, you kind of get some new resolve for the second half. You go out recharged and revitalized and ready to attack the second half. If you've had a wonderful first half, you've been killing it, your team's up by 30 or whatever sports you're playing, and things are going great, and you come in at halftime, you're like, hey, let's just keep it going, man. Let's, we're doing a great job. Let's not let it fall off. Church should be that way. We want it to be that way. We want you to come. If you've had a crummy week, if you went to a job that you feel like removes your soul all week, and you come in, you limp in here on Sunday morning, and we want you to march out. I was in the Marine Corps. I'll call the cadence. We can go march together. Left, right, left, right, left, right. Let's go, Bubba. You can limp in, but, man, we want you to march out of here. Maybe you had a great week. You killed it this week. Couldn't wait to get to work. Couldn't wait to get home. Everything was awesome. Well, let's come in here together and let's celebrate the God that gave that to us. The joy that we find in our work, God put that there. That's the design. That's what he wants for you. And you can have it. So let's spend some time celebrating what God has done 